we are talking about somebody that's related to you this morning. Goes all the way back to that first man and that first woman, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Not Adam and Steve, it was Adam and Eve. And God made the first man, the first woman. Now think, if he had made two men or two women, that would have been the end of the human race. And some people can't figure this out. So, anyway, it's good to have you here today. But Adam and Eve were in the garden, and um, we don't know how long things were going along pretty smooth. But it didn't last long. It didn't last long. Because um, there's this old serpent. Came into the garden and tempted Eve to eat the fruit. And it had been downhill ever since. Can you believe that Adam, at the very beginning, was a very brilliant individual? I mean, he had to have a lot of knowledge to name everything. And um, the Bible says that he did. So he wasn't some caveman learning how to, you know, make fire, living grunt, grunt in a cave someplace. He lived in a garden, perfect environment. So that was a, a wonderful thing to know. Wouldn't it have been neat to have been in the Garden of Eden? I've often wondered what it would have been like, you know, just lay around all day long and wife go get me some strawberries. And then right down, go get me some grapes. Just, you know, just... I wonder if they had any mosquitoes. I haven't figured out what was the purpose of mosquitoes. You know, and gnats. Of all the things he made, uh, some things it seems like, you know, like briars and thorns, it just really irritates you to no end. But um, it was a perfect place, perfect environment. She couldn't have been more happier. I mean, she had the dream of her life. I mean, she had the most handsomest man in the world. She had the only man in the world. And he had the only woman in the world. So... Um, you seemed like everything was going along fine, but then um, somebody comes along. Old Satan rears his ugly head. And buddy, can't he really mess up your life? You just stop and think. How many young people believed that when they got married, this was going to be happy ever after? Not if the devil gets his way. He's going to do everything he possibly can to ruin everything. And that's what he works on so he tricks. But I want you to take your Bible and look there with me into the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy and chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 tells us that, you know, God has a, a line of authority. He has a chain of command. There's things that he does and... Uh, he gave his law. You see, there, there wouldn't have been a law. He wouldn't have had to give the Ten Commandments, you know. Thou shalt not steal, because they wouldn't have stole. That one little deception cost us everything. So because of that, look how many more laws it came because of man's sinful nature. So the laws that God gave is to help man to be afraid not to break them, because if he does, he's going to have a price to pay. We have laws today. Look how many laws they pass. 
in the county, the state, the you know, the Congress, the legislature, legislate, legislate, they make laws. And look how many laws they make, all trying to control us because of our old sinful nature. If we had no sinful nature, we wouldn't want to do anybody any ill, any harm. Wouldn't have to have any laws. Because all the law is fulfilled in one word, love. Because if you love, well, then you don't commit adultery. And if you love, you don't kill. If you love, you don't steal. You, if you love. But because iniquity abounds, love waxes cold. So people don't really know how to love. They just love themselves. They want the best for themselves. But then they don't know how to get the best for themselves. So is there any end to all of this? So we know how it begins. They were innocent. We don't usually say that Adam and Eve was perfect. Because in our new birth, we will be perfect. So if Adam and Eve were perfect and they sinned, then how come we can't sin when we get to heaven if we're perfect? If we're perfect, can we sin? Adam and Eve did. No, they had the capacity to sin. They were made innocent, but they were like a glass, like I have right here. But they had the capacity, and Satan comes along and pours a little temptation in there. And so they sinned, and there was a price to pay. But look what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I want you to look at now. Because the gospel itself is perfect. It's the only thing that can correct the problem. Like the other day, I was talking about when we're born into the world, we're born with this old sinful virus. You know, they're talking about the Ebola virus. Well, we're born with a sinful virus, and uh, it's deadly, and there's no cure for it except death. It's deadly, and everybody that gets it dies. And so everybody's born with it, and everybody passes on to the next person. So you have an old sinful nature. Wouldn't it be neat if you could go to the hospital, and they could operate and cut out your sinful nature, and that would make everything so much better. But look what he says here. And he makes this statement. Look down there in verse 11. Now, this is going all the way back to the book of Genesis, believe it or not. And... There is a price to pay for rebellion. In verse 11, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. In other words, just being in subjection to your own husbands, learning to listen and to be of a meek and quiet spirit. Now, remember last week I told you that Betty had taken something and all of a sudden she couldn't talk for two days. Well, Larry asked me this morning if I um, could give him the name of that recipe or that drug that she took. So I guess he has ulterior motives. I still didn't give it to you, did I? So anyway, I don't know what it was, but, uh, you know, she just got hoarse. Just, just, just went hoarse. Couldn't talk. And uh, she'd never been like that before. She's always been able to talk. And so I had about 15 guys come up to me wanting to know what kind of medicine it was. Just joking, just joking. But notice what he says here in that verse 12. But I permit not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. I mean, in quietness. Usurp means not to overthrow. But God does want women that can teach. Every woman should be able to teach. But the Bible talks about the woman teaching uh, young women. The older ladies teaching the young ladies. Uh, hold your place right here and just turn to your right a couple pages to the book of Titus.
hold your place where we are, but look in Titus in chapter 2. And you'll see God does want women to teach, but not usurp authority over men. Does that mean a man can't learn anything from a woman? Well, of course they can learn things from a woman, but they still should not usurp authority. And so uh, we like, you know, women can teach women. But look what he says here in verse 3. Let's just look at verse 2. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. In other words, the older you get, well, the better example you ought to be. You've had longer to learn, to go through experiences and trials and so forth, and so you should be stronger in faith, sound in doctrine, as it says in verse 1. In verse 3, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, teachers of good things. So shouldn't women be teachers of good things? Yes, good things. And then it says in verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. So are there things that women are supposed to teach to the young women? Well, yes, what it says. Teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands. So can older women teach the younger women how to love their husbands? Well, yes. Do you think if they get older and age, they should still love their husbands? doesn't mean, well, I loved them when I was young, but not anymore. And then notice, to love their children, to be discreet, to be chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Why should I listen to that old battle axe? Well, because you don't want the ministry to be blamed. You don't want to bring a shame upon the cause of Christ. And so, therefore, you may have to endure a few things. You may not enjoy everything, but uh, some things we have to endure, as the Bible tells even to the guys, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So, the word of God is given to us, and we should be thankful that, yes, men and women have a role to play, things to learn. Now, go back here to 1 Timothy in chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And notice what it says in verse 13. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. So the Bible tells us back in the book of Genesis that God took uh, the dust of the earth and made it into a body and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. But now look there in verse 14. So Adam... Eve, first man, first woman. That means there were no people before them. There was not the Cro-Magnon, the Heidelberg man, the Picket, the Cantipus, Erectus man, the Nostril Pit, the Kind man. There's none of those cavemen that you learned about in college or high school, you know, in uh, a biology class or anthropology class. Th th those things, no, no. The first man was very, very intelligent. And notice what he says in verse 14. And Adam was not deceived. Many people said the devil tricked Adam. No, the devil did not trick Adam. Well, the devil deceived Adam. No, the devil did not deceive Adam. The Bible says that Eve was deceived. See there in verse 14? But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. In other words, she was guilty. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. See, what does that mean? Well, when a woman gets married, has a child, 
She's not to usurp authority over the man, but the woman can usurp authority over children. So the woman is able to teach the children the things that she has learned and how to be obedient and cheerful and all these things and chase. And a woman can teach all these things to the child. If it's a little boy, you teach the little boy to be like daddy. If it's a little girl, you teach the little girl to be like mommy. And mommy and daddy are supposed to be the right examples for the little children. So does that mean that a woman has no ministry? Uh, they often say that the one that rocks the cradle rules the world. Because, you see, the people who rule the world came from mamas who influenced them. And mamas are usually the ones who train the children on what to do and what not to do. That's why even in the book of Proverbs, Solomon says, Obey the law of thy mother. Obey the law of thy mother. Because a lot of time it's the mama who has to deal with the kids that lays down the law. The daddy is the one who's supposed to be the spiritual head, and the wife fulfills that as she teaches those children. So everybody has a role. Nobody's exempt from responsibility. It's just that there is a role that each one has to play, and there's a chain of command. And if everybody does what they're supposed to do, everything works. And train up a child in the way it should go. Well, generally, it's the mama has to train the child. And uh, years ago, years ago, it was the man that went to work, and the women stayed home and raised the children. True? But now in our society, we have such a hard economic time, but it takes two people just to work to be able to survive. And, uh, but years ago, the woman worked out there in the field, too, and she plowed a little bit, and she hoed a little bit, and she weeded a little bit, and she got the stuff. And I remember years ago when I used to sit down there in Virginia and, uh, with my aunt and uncle, and they would stand out there, I mean, sit out there for hours and shuck corn. You ever shuck corn, shell peas, until it almost pull it back here, and it's like a, you think it's going to come off, and you shell them peas and shell them all day long, butter beans, shell butter beans, all that, and snap peas, all those things, that's work. But they're supplying for their home, but today, see, that woman doesn't have the, you know, bring in the baskets, and they sit there on the back porch, and they do all of this anymore, but they still work. And so um, a lot of work has to be done. And so there's a price that has to be paid. And so the woman is saving herself in the sense that she is producing the children that will be able to be taught by her, and that affects society. And also, it was through the woman that down the road where these great men of God came from. Take away the women, there are no great men. And then Jesus Christ came into the world because of a woman. And all mankind is saved because of a woman who gave birth to a miraculous child. Interesting, but it's good, and it's the way it should be. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Romans in chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. A lot of times people don't know that a lot of things about the very beginning of Genesis is found in the New Testament that sometimes has a little bit of clues that helps us to understand some things that are not really clear there. So look there in Romans chapter 5 and look at verse 12. Look in verse 12. 
you would think, why would you go all the way back to the first man to teach something, you know, today? You know, 4,000 years later, 6,000 years later, and we're talking about Adam and Eve. So you see in verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. So sin came into the world by one man. And it wasn't because of somebody that lived before him. It wasn't by some prehistoric man. There was the first man, God made him, told us, so there's no such thing as prehistory. Why? Because we have the history from the first man, don't we? We got the history from the first man, then what's before him? There is no other man. He was the first man. And so he says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and because of sin, death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And that means everybody has this so sinful virus, you know, of the old sinful nature. And we pass it on down the line. Now, I'll explain a lot more about this here in the church service, but not right now. But you, you will see it very clearly. Now, look what else he says here. In verse 13, For until the law, sin, was in the world, sin is not imputed when there is no law. But nevertheless, death still reigns. When you sin, you still died. And so, he says in verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Say, what in the world does that mean? Well, Adam did not sin because he was deceived. Adam chose to be a sinner. You see, and we can get into a debate about why did Adam do what he did? He wasn't deceived. But Eve took the fruit, ate the fruit, and she offered it to Adam. And at that point, Adam had a decision to make. I can live forever without her, or I can die with her. Now, what would you do? Live forever without her, or die with her? Now, did he love her? Well, I don't know. It doesn't say that, you know, he loved her. Well, we're assuming that he did, since there was nobody else. But he chose to be a sinner. He wasn't deceived. He knew what he was doing. When Christ came into the world, he had no sinful nature. He did not have to sin. He didn't become sin. He was just born into the world, lived a perfect, righteous life. So by choice, Christ chose to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. So Christ knew what he was doing. Christ was not deceived. Christ made a definite decision. And that's why he says, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, Jesus chose to be sin. Adam chose to be a sinner. Eve was deceived. She didn't plan anything. But she was caught up with those three little things that gets almost everybody. I knew you were going to ask. So take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John, and 
chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 15. It's a simple little statement. But just a, a word about, you know, who do you love? So the Lord's word tells us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Well, here we are. You hear people say, well, no, I just love my car. I just love my house. Oh, I just love where I live. Oh, I love the mountains. Oh, I love the beach. Oh, I love the Florida sunshine. I love the snow in Colorado. Well, there's one thing about, you know, enjoying some of the things. God says all things are given to us to freely enjoy. So we can enjoy the things. But the Bible does tell us that we're not to live for it. We're not to worship these things. We're not to bow to these things. They should not dominate our life. We have to live here. We've got to live someplace. I've lived in Georgia. I've lived in Pennsylvania. I've lived in Virginia, and I've lived in Tennessee. I've lived in Florida, and I've lived in Colorado. So I've lived in Louisiana. So I've lived in a few places. I've lived in five states in a year and a half right after me and Betty got married because I was always on the go. I was a little gypsy, never satisfied, always moving, always doing something. And if somebody didn't, you know, cross their eyes right, I mean, I'd quit my job and go get another one. And I'll teach them. Yeah, I taught them all right. They could care less. I'm the one that was without the job and had a wife and a couple of kids. So I had these things I had to learn. But look there in verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. It's just that uh, the love of the Father is not in you. In other words, you don't love the Lord like you should if you love the world like you shouldn't. That ought to make sense. And so now he explains what does he mean by love not the world nor the things in the world. So this is what he's talking about. In verse 16, for all that is in the world, all that's in the world. So this must be the things that pertain to the things of loving the world or the things that are in the world. And that is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those three things. Because it deals with the desire to have what you see, and you want to be something, or do something, want something, crave something, and as he says here, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. You want something. Pride. P-R-I-D-E. Uh, that's uh, one of the things that the devil uses to uh, get us lured away from the Lord is because look what this can do for you. Look what this will, you know, how it can affect your life. And so there's so many things lifting up with pride. And remember what the devil said to Eve? Your eyes will be open and you shall know. Pride can lift you up. She looked at the fruit, the lust of the eye. She looked at what If she wasn't supposed to um, eat the fruit, it probably would have been better if she hadn't looked at the fruit. Right? So she looked at the fruit, she desired the fruit, and she says, it's good for food. Well, wait a minute. 
she forgot about what the Lord said. So she was deceived, and next thing you know, she then gobbled down. You say, what kind of a fruit was it? It was a banana, because the Bible said it had a peel. Oh, well, forget it. We don't really know, and it doesn't really matter what kind of fruit it was. It was just that uh, obedience or disobedience. And uh, sometimes we just can't stand it when somebody says, now you can do all of this and all of this and all of this, but you can't do this. Why? We don't care about all the things we can do. We are greatly concerned about the things that we don't get to do. We just don't like it when somebody says, what I can't do. And so, therefore, we become rebellious. And it usually is revealed. So now, go to the book of Matthew chapter 4. Matthew and chapter 4. So you understand how the devil works. And then you'll know how he's going to get you. Now, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit up into the wilderness, and get this, to be tempted of the devil. In other words, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. And he's going to be tempted by the devil. So the devil tempts everybody. As you read the book of Revelation chapter 12, you'll find it says, that he hath deceived the whole world. Doesn't say that? He deceived the whole world. Revelation chapter 12. That means all of us in this room, whether we like it or we don't like it, we have been deceived. You have not been perfectly discerning in all of your decisions. We'd like to believe that. We have been, but the Bible says he hath deceived the whole world. So sometimes he may offer us things and we get lifted up with pride. Why do you get your feelings hurt so quickly? Pride. Somebody said something that lowers you from that little plateau you're on, makes you look bad, or think you don't know something, you're not as good as, and pride gets us. And we want to be the best. We get filled with envy. We envy, become envious if somebody has more than what we've got. I'm just as obedient as that. I don't have what they have. Why should they have that? They're rebellious and mean and ugly, and they seem like they got everything. Nothing happens, ever happens to them. And I go through all of the things that I go, we get jealous. 